We're transitioning. Y'all had enough turkey day, right? There's debates in our household about all of this, but um, we're transitioning now from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Thanksgiving day to the Christmas season, right? That's the, the, the argument that I hear most often. Um, we're, we're reminded in this Christmas season of the name of Jesus that was both prophesied by Isaiah. It was also the name that the angel instructed Joseph to give to Mary's child, Jesus, which was Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel. And we can debate whether to spell Emmanuel with an E or an I. I'm of the impression that I is a little more accurate, you know, when you try to translate languages and whatnot. But um, Emmanuel, literally God with us, God in the flesh, God just present. God literally present. And when we think about all the different presents that we could uh, receive this Christmas season, you know, it, it, it's more than just a cliche that really God's presence is one of the greatest presents we could ever um, possess. God with us. Emmanuel is a tremendous name that helps to describe and also helps us to understand more fully who God is. God is eternal. God is with us. He is the God who is always with us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. Even when we run from him and sin, he still pursues us. God is always reaching out to us, always speaking to us. Um, in fact, in, I think it's is it Psalm 139, David was uh, lamenting. He's like, where can I go from your presence? Uh, is that right? I, all right, we need some more Bible studiers out there. You got to correct me when I'm wrong here. But I think it's Psalm 139. Yeah, where David's like, where can I go to hide from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. Wherever I go, your presence is there. It's amazing to think about. And although God is everywhere, all the place, all at one time, he is omnipresent, God chooses special, unique manifestations of his presence. And you can kind of understand this where like, you know, I am Steve, you know, that's just, it's, I am who I am, you know, I, I want to get that shirt, I am who I am, you know, it's, yeah, anyways, it's on my Christmas list. So, um, but, you know, I, even though I do not change, different people know me differently. Becky knows me in a way that none of y'all know me, okay? <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. Nate knows me in a way that none of y'all know me. You know, Seth knows me in a way that none of y'all know me. My mother-in-law knows me in a way. My mom knows me in a way that nobody else in this world could ever know me. I mean, before, well, I was still getting knit together in her womb. She knew me in a way that I didn't even know her. You know, I mean, you know, and some of y'all are like, I know his name's Steve. At least I try to remember that Steve, Steve, Steve. You know, some of you don't really know me that well. And so you get this, this reality that there's special manifestations of knowing God. God wants to be known fully, but it's up to us to get to know him. We are the ones, right? That name goes beyond just his birth, that Emmanuel, God in the flesh, just beyond his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection um, in the flesh as Jesus. It embodies the promise of God. It embodies the nature of God. God. That is who God is. He is with us. It was true in the Garden of Eden before our sinful choices separated us from him. It was God's desire as he covered their sin and shame in the garden by sacrificing the first animal, making uh, clothes of skin, right? Um, you know, it, was, it was in God's heart as he continued to reach out and to work mightily in and through anyone who turned their lives to him. It was God's longing as he created a way for us to be forgiven of our sins 
separate us from him. Uh, you know, and, and it was very true in the, through the old covenant that he made a way of forgiveness. It was God's passion as he himself took on flesh, as he took on the curse, so, and he died so that we might live. It was his passion to live a sinless life so that he could pay the price for our sin so that we could live. It was his joy his joy to pour out his very presence into our lives through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It was a joy to do that. God with us under the new covenant in the most significant way ever. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God with us. We read this in several different places. I'm going to jump around here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you are God's temple God's Spirit lives in you. James 4, 5 through 8. Do you think the Scripture means nothing when it says the Spirit that God made to live in us wants us for Himself alone? <laughs> and I've done sermons about this before, but you know, God says that He is a jealous God. He is a jealous God, and that's not a bad thing. It's not covetousness that He wants something that's not His. Jealousy is, my wife is mine, you know, and I'm not going to share with any other man. It's a, a healthy jealousy. Jealousy is an attribute of love, of true, pure love, is, you know, my kid is mine, and I don't want anything to hurt him. I'm jealous for him. My love jealously longs for him to be protected and safe and to become everything that he could possibly be. My daughter's whatever. They can choose whatever they want to choose. But my son, to carry on the Cromer name, he's one of only two in our whole family. Like, Cromers are getting far and few and in between here, right? We got, we got Nate and Cole over at Shemogan. So anyways, um, but you get this idea. The Holy Spirit is jealous for us. We are his. And then in verse 6 it says, but God gives us even more grace. As the scripture says, God is against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So give yourselves completely to God in verse 7. Stand against the devil, and the devil will run from you. Come near to God. Yeah! Woo! Run to run, right? Sorry, we need to give a, a, yeah, an opportunity to rejoice in that. You just stand. Don't you love that? You just got to stand Satan can't have you, you know? He's trying to lead you away. He's trying to draw you away. All you got to do is stand, and he'll just, he'll run away eventually. <sighs> Sometimes I wonder when he's going to give up. He just doesn't seem to, to get the uh, idea here. But instead, we're to come near to God, and God will come near to us. Who moves first? We do, because God doesn't move, right? And then he goes on, he says this lovely, encouraging verse. Now, you sinners, Get sin out of your lives. Clean up your act. I love New Century Version. You who are trying to follow God and the world at the same time, make your thinking pure. Don't be divided. Don't have one foot in one, one foot in the other. Be wholly committed to God, right? And then he goes on um, here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. And in him, that's speaking of Christ Jesus, you too are being built together, becoming a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6.16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them. I will walk with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's a New Testament quote of an Old Testament verse. Leviticus 26.12, Jeremiah 32.38, Ezekiel 37.27. He sent three prophets to say the same truth. 
I want to be their God. I want to be them to be my people. I want to live with them. I want to walk with them. This is the heart of God, the longing of God. And then he goes on, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And of course, the verse before that is putting this in the uh, context of sexual immorality. You know, we are not our own. We're bought the price. But this reality, Emmanuel, God with us, things shifted under the new covenant when Jesus fulfilled all of the, the promises of the old covenant, when he became the, um, the Passover lamb, the perfect spotless lamb without blemish, the only one who ever has been, when he sacrificed himself, he fulfilled once and for all, all the requirements of God, so that by simple faith in him, we receive righteousness in a way that could never be purchased under the old covenant, the old law. There was nothing wrong with it. It was just a little weak. It was a little incomplete. But God came in strength, in power, in might. And now we don't go to the wailing wall or some temple over in Jerusalem or some tent tabernacle. Now we are the temple. <laughs> That's a powerful reality. You carry the presence of God in your life. The most holy place, the holy of holies, is in you. We sang about that last week. You know, take me into the, you know, yeah. That reality is that we are now that. And sometimes I don't think we take that seriously enough. That's what we're learning about this morning. I know I'm being challenged by this big time. Because we receive this grace of God and this mercy and this forgiveness, you kind of feel like you can just live however you want and you know he'll forgive you. It's all good, right? As I'm always telling my kids, choices have consequences, but you'll be forgiven of it. I mean, you still got to walk through some hard things in life, right? But sometimes we're a little too flippant with this reality. We are the temple. Um, I'm going to kind of go back here, a little bit of history. I couldn't go back everywhere because it's just not enough time. But, but it's just crazy to think about this reality that, that we were purposed for the presence of God, that we were created to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are incomplete without him. In fact, Jesus kind of says that we're dead. <laughs> we're dead in our transgressions. We're dead in our sin. We need to be born again, right? John 3, we need to be born again. Born of the Spirit, not just of flesh and blood. Born of the living water. Born of the Spirit. That's, that's a miracle that God does. He makes us alive in our spiritually, and then He comes and He dwells with us. Emmanuel, God with us, right here in our flesh. We are carriers of the presence of God. Beginning back in Exodus 25, God instructed Moses to make a sanctuary where His presence would dwell with His people. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be reading a lot because I just wrote this recently. I don't have it memorized yet, and it's not in my spirit the way it needs to be, so bear with me. <laughs> But God gave Moses very specific instructions on how to build a tabernacle and all the different contents within it. One of the most significant items was a wooden ark that was overlaid with gold called the Ark of the Covenant. That was the place where the very presence of God would dwell. It was more than just symbolic of his presence. He said that he would literally come and sit on the mercy seat there. A very unique, special place, a special manifestation of his presence. Though he's everywhere all the time, this was a special place to meet with him. 
Um, and then, of course, you've, you've probably seen this sort of idea in this picture of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. It was placed in a very unique location within that tabernacle. Later, it was placed in a very unique place in the temple buildings, you know, after they were no longer mobile. You know, they were wandering around following the, we sang that song, Egypt. You know, literally, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, God led his people by this pillar of fire by night and a pillar of uh, cloud by day. He would follow them. That was his presence. When he would rest, the people would rest. When he would get up and move, the people would get up and move. You guys seen the connection here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Being led by the Spirit, like that's supposed to be us. You know, we're supposed to rest with, you know, yeah, follow his lead. That's why we're filled. But anyways, I'll get ahead of myself here a little bit. This place was the inner court known as the most holy place or the holy of holies, depending on what translation of the Bible you use. Only one person was allowed to go into that place, the great high priest, and he was only allowed to go in there at one time throughout the course of a year. And for him to go into that place, into the presence of God, he had to go through these crazy ceremonial washings and cleansings. He did it all in faith of what God told him to do. But God was very particular about what the tabernacle, what the temple would look like, what the contents would be. And, and we actually read in the New Testament that God did that. He revealed this to Moses, and then he revealed it later to David and Solomon. Um, and, and then later, um, who built the, the last temple? Help me here. Is it Nehemiah? Nehemiah? Man, we all need to get into our Bibles. Your preacher needs help here. <laughs> I believe it was Nehemiah who built the, the, the last temple. Okay, yeah. Then Ezekiel talked about one. But they were all copies. They were shadows of what was in heaven. Do you guys ever do that when you were kids? Tracing? You know, I, I know Amber, she uses that all the time. Like, you project a picture up on the wall, and then you can trace it, you know, and that's kind of what it was. It was a, a shadow copy of what is in heaven. It's representing that, the throne room of God where his presence dwells. Um, the curtain that separated everyone from that, that place, that veil, that curtain, that was the, the literal same one that was torn in two when Jesus gave his life on the cross. When that earthquake came and it was torn. That wasn't just an accident. God was saying, enough of this. Now nothing will separate my presence from my people. I will be their God. They will be my people, right? Enough of that temple. Jesus said he was going to destroy it in three days, and then he would rebuild it. What, what did Paul write in Corinthians? We are being built together to house the presence of God as a temple. That's what Jesus was talking about. He was tearing down the, we don't need that temple. Now we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit is within us. He's been poured out into our lives. It's amazing to think about. We are the temple. We are the most holy place. We are the holy of holies where the presence of God dwells. It's an awesome reality. Romans 8 says that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Lives in us. Now, I feel that God is sort of cautioning us today about this reality to bring this back to mind. Too often we take this for granted. We, we, we take for granted the forgiveness and the grace of God all because of the work of Jesus and become careless with this gift. Anybody like watching this time of year, A Christmas Story, you know? Well, shoot your eye out, kid, you know? It's an awesome gift, but you got to be careful with it. I'm sorry, maybe I'm the only one. But anyways, um... <laughs> We, got, we are given the gifts of God, but we are giving responsibility and accountability for how we use them and how we carry them. 
for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus, you're all given an initial deposit of the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Now, of course, we know you can get full of that too, right? You know, there's, there's more, there's more, way more that we, our lives can possess than that initial deposit. But that, that indwelling, that infilling of the Holy Spirit, so we sometimes take it so lightly because we don't realize this reality. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, talk to us a little bit about the grace of God. The grace of God. We receive the grace of God to empower us to rise up above all of our weaknesses and failures and sin. We don't receive God's grace to just shove them under the rug like they don't exist. So I can live however I want and I'm just covered by His grace, you know? The grace of God is actually an empowering gift to empower you to choose better, to choose not to sin. Before, you were a slave to your flesh. You're you entangled by the enemy to do his will. Now you've been set free. Now you receive the grace of God. Then you didn't have grace. Now you have grace. God's grace empowers you to rise up above it, to choose better in his strength, in the strength of the Lord, to live our lives the way that he has called us to, not the way we want to. We receive God's grace not to cover up our sin, but to empower us to choose not to. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 7 says this, it says, what shall we say then about the grace of God that we received? Shall we go on sinning more so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death, right? Water baptism, you die and then you're raised again to a new life, right? If any of y'all want to be water baptized, we got one right under here anytime y'all want. It's going to be a little chilly if we do it on demand, but that's all right. I think most of you out here have experienced the chilliness of, praise be to God, he brought Daryl in here, a plumber, so that no more chilly water baptisms, right? We got that heater going. All right, anyways. But think about that reality. We died to sin. And verse 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism and death, just so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too have been raised into a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection just like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him by the body that was ruled by sin so that it might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So we receive the grace of God, not so we can just keep on sinning intentionally and whatnot. You know, we, if you say that you don't sin, you're lying. You know, we're all going to triple and fall and stumble into sin. But there is a difference between, you know, as I explain to my children often, yeah, first time it was a mistake. You made a bad decision. You may not even realize it was wrong at the time. But the fourth time that you've done it, you got to stop calling this thing a mistake. This ain't a mistake anymore. This is a choice. You knew it was wrong. You knew what you were doing. You intentionally went and did it anyways. Let's just call this thing what it is. Like, let's call sin, sin, okay? This isn't, we, we don't want to sugarcoat it, you know? We receive the grace of God so that we can rise up above, so that you're able to. Too often we live our lives in a way that is right in our own eyes, right? And what did, what did God say about the uh, time of the judges when everybody just did what was right in their own eyes? wasn't good, was it? But sometimes we receive his salvation and we think, well, I'm not going to hell when I die, so I just live the way I want now. God will forgive me and he loves me and he cares for me. And, you know, 
As parents, you know what love and care really is. You, you don't let your kids keep making stupid decisions, right? You know, you, you want to set them free from those things, not, not to enable them to continue in them. Because you love them and you want what's best for them, right? God is no different. Too often we live in a way that is right in our own eyes, and then we kind of tug the Holy Spirit along with us, as if though he's like a tool to be used when we need him to get ourselves out of a bind, Right? That's kind of how we treat the Holy Spirit. We just drag him. We do what we think's right. We drag him along. And when we realize, oh, this was a mistake, we're like, okay, help us out. <laughs> Isn't that our prayer most of the time? Help me! <laughs> help me, Lord! And it's not a bad prayer. But if you knew the mess you were running into, then why'd you drag God along? And then expect him to bail you out every time. And, and it's not, you know, we're going to talk about this in detail. Oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But we can learn from God's own people in the past, in history, that this doesn't end well for anybody. Today, under the new covenant, the presence of God dwells within our bodies. Under the old covenant, the presence of God dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant, you know? If you ever watched Indiana Jones, right, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? Remember? Yeah, that's, that's the Ark that we're talking about. And it didn't end very well for them when they took a peek inside, did it? We're going to see that that movie is based in reality. It didn't actually end very well when, when the Philistines decided to pay, take a peek inside either, right? But there is a difference. There is a big difference that needs to take place in our lives where we see that the Holy Spirit is not a tool to be used, a, a friend to call on when you need a bell out. The Holy Spirit is God in the flesh, like in us. You can't just keep dragging Him around. We are filled to follow. We are filled with the Holy Spirit to follow the Spirit. Not to drag him along wherever we go so we can keep living the way that we want. It's so that we surrender our lives to him. We're going old school. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. This is what happened with God's people when they treated the presence of God as some tool to drag along when you need help. It says, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. For those of you who don't know, just huge you know, battle back and forth. The Israelites were God's people. The Philistines wanted nothing to do with God. And they were just enemies. They were just enemies. They were always fighting with each other. So the Israelites, they camped at Ebenezer and um, the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. They killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Can you imagine that? 4,000 of your friends and family slaughtered on the battlefield. But you're God's people. You are called by God to destroy the Philistines and you're going up and you're fighting them. And then God doesn't have your back. Do you ever feel like that in life? Let's be honest. God, you said to do this and I'm doing it, but my life is falling apart. <laughs> what is the deal here? They're doing what God told them to do, at least as far as they were told to destroy the Philistines, but you know what they never stopped to do? To ask God how. To ask God when. They just said, let's do this. They went off and they did it on their own. Just like Abraham, he was called to be the father of many nations. All right, Sarah, you're not producing me any kids, so uh, how about your uh, servant there, you know? Let's do this thing and start building a family, you know? wasn't good when we do things our way. Do you get that? When you do what God's calling you to do, but you do it your way, that is a revelation of your heart. I want to serve God, but I want to do it my way. I, I, want, to, I want King Jesus, but I want Burger King, you know? I, I want my 2,000 in some ways to make my Whopper, you know? 
I want to serve. You got a leg in both camps, right? Like, like Paul wrote about earlier. You're in the world and you're in the kingdom. And it's not that you're, you may tell God, I want to bring the kingdom to earth. But in reality, you want to bring some of that earth, you know, in the world into your life. You're, you're divided and it's not a good place to be. If you're divided, you're going to be torn. You're going to fall. You can't stand. It says, so they lost 4,000 people. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why? Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? I got it. Let's bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Notice that when things didn't go the way that they wanted them to, they decided, let's take God's presence into our failure. And let's just ask God to bless our failure and and make everything right. They still never stopped to ask and to inquire of God. They never sought after God. They They just decided, they knew that God was good, and they knew that God would save them, and they knew that God would deliver them, and they knew that God was needed to to defeat their enemy. Do you get this? There's so many Christians today living this way. They believe it, and they declare it, and they prophesy it, but they never ask, God, what role do I play? What do you want me to do to win this battle? They never ask God how to defeat the Philistines. They just said, all right, God, here we go. We're going into battle. So the people sent men to Shiloh. They brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons. Eli was the high priest at the time. He let his kids do whatever they wanted. Not a good dad. Doesn't end well for their family. Doesn't end well for their family. Their names, Hophni and Phinehas. I thought they'd be Phineas and Ferb, but that's, God had other plans, apparently. I'm sorry, this is a very dry message, so bear with me. I'll try to lighten up a little bit from time to time. But it's a serious message that God is trying to get into our hearts and into our minds. So his sons were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So they kind of did things God's way. They knew that, the, they knew that uh, it was the, the, the Levites that had to be there with the presence of God. They were the, the garter, guardians of the Ark and whatnot. So they sent his sons. Says when they, He couldn't go because he was too fat. He was just way too fat. And literally, if you read at the end of this chapter, yeah, it killed him. He broke his neck. He rolled off his chair. If I ever get so fat that if I roll off my chair, I'm going to break my neck, please, please, somebody do an intervention for me. Can you guys agree to do that, please? If I ever get that chubby? All right, thank you. That's why he didn't go out. That's why he said it instead. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm bunny rabbiting in places that spirit's not leading. Uh, in any case, I love this scene. Man, this, this is Sunday mornings. Like, it's better than Monday night football. This is Sunday mornings. Look at this. When God's presence came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a shout that the ground shook. Can you imagine raising such a shout as a people of God that it literally shook the ground? God didn't shake them. Their shout shook the ground. They are rejoicing. They are praising with everything they got. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines ask, What's all this shouting at the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come, they were afraid. A god has come into the camp. They said, oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of their mighty god? This is the same god that struck the Egyptians down with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong. (laughs) I love this pep talk. 
Oh no, we're done. They're going to destroy us. But be strong, men. Be strong. Be strong, men. Or you will be subject to the Hebrews the way that they have been slaves to you. So be men. Get out there and fight. Literally verse 9. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was so great that Israel lost 30,000 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. Eli's sons died. And when the news of their death and and the stealing of the ark of the covenant came to Eli, yeah, he rolled off his chair and died too. Not only did he die, when the news of his death came, it was his, I think it was his daughter-in-law who was pregnant. She went into an early birth. She was so tortured. And, and they named the kid Ichabod, which means God's glory has departed. How many times do we wonder, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Why am I, why, 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 why? And the reason is because we keep trying to drag God into our mess when God is like, come out from that place. <laughs> come here. I've got good plans and purposes for you. I've got a path laid out for your life. I have a purpose for your life. But you got to come here. you got to draw near to me, and then I'll draw near to you, and then everything will be, you know. How often is that the case? Now, everywhere that the Ark of the Covenant went throughout the Philistine region, (laughs) curses came on that place. God doesn't need foot soldiers. He can take care of himself. I love, I, I wanted to read through it so badly this morning and turn this into a whole series, but I just couldn't. There's not enough time and y'all will be bored out of your gourd. But um, it, it was hilarious. Like, in one instance, I have to share a couple of instances. In one instance, they put the Ark of the Covenant inside of this temple of, I think it was D- Dagon. Is that their God that they were serving in that area? And then I love it. They came up the next morning and guess what happened? That big statue of Dagon, boom. It was bowed down before the Ark of Covenant. And they're like, that's weird. Let's put this guy back up. The next morning they came out, boom. Not only was he on his face before the Ark of the Covenant, his head, no, I think his hands were chopped off too, right? I think. Like, God is the one true living God. He doesn't need us to defend him. He can take care of himself. But I just love that. But everywhere that they went, he proved himself God. In fact, he gave everywhere that they went, there were outbreaks, depending on the translation of Bible you read. They called them either tumors or hemorrhoids. Like he was a serious pain in the butt to the Philistines. Every, and eventually, this is literally what happened. Read through Chronicles and Samuel. They got so tired of hemorrhoids that they said, here, and they passed it on to the next region. And then they were delivered. They, they had some preparation H relief, you know. And then that town, they ended up cursed with all the, you know. And so finally they're like, enough, enough. Send this thing back to the Israelites. We don't want anything to do with the thing. And they're like, but we can't just give it back to them. We got to give them a gift. So what, guess what they gave them? Best prank gift ever. They, they, they made uh, gold into the shape of these, you know, tumors or hemorrhoids and gave that with them. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways, it, it, this happened. This is for real. There's all kinds of fun things in the Bible. But anyways, so this is awesome, Right? After a while, they sent it back to God's people, and it ended up spending 20 years at Abimanab's house, and forgive my pronunciation, at Kiriath Jerim. And it remained in his house for the entire reign of King Saul. You guys remember Saul, King? I don't need to go into your history there. After King Saul's reign came to an end, 
and it didn't come to an end in a very nice way. God raised up David as king, and David repeated history in a bad way, as we tend to do. Isn't that why history is so important, Meg? So we don't repeat it. Teach history. Real, authentic, this is what happened. It was so ugly. In fact, teach history so that it's even uglier than it really was, so we don't repeat it. Don't pretend it didn't exist. That is, man, you're setting yourself up for failure if you do that. First Chronicles 13, this is also found in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 6. Um, they, they mirror a lot of the same stories. Have you ever noticed that? Like, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, they repeat a lot of the same stories, you know? And Chronicles and Samuel, and yeah, you guys have to tell me why someday, right? <laughs> if you learn your biblical timelines and what these books are about. So David is raised up. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds. Then he said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it's the will of God, he cared about the will of God, let's send word far and wide to the rest of all of our people through all the territories, and also bring the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and in their pasture lands. Invite them to come and join us. Let us finally do this. Bring the ark of our God back to us. Because we never even inquired of it during the reign of Saul. In verse 4, the whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to the people. You get that phrase? Hey guys, yeah, this seems good. Let's do this. Okay. So David assembled all of Israel from Shiloh River in, in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of the God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all of Israel went out to Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of the Lord, God of the Lord. And it's Baal of Judah is also known as Kiriath-Jerim, where it was. Bring back the ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, that ark that is called by the name, capital N, their name. That is the presence of God. They moved the ark of, the God, the ark of God from Abinadab's house onto a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs, with harps, with lyres, with timbrels, with cymbals, with trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because they stumbled and it started to fall. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down dead because he put his hand on the ark. David is very angry because of the Lord's wrath. Talk about a party killer. Talk about an atmosphere changer, right? We're all partying, we're celebrating. Yeah, presence of God. You know, it just touches it. And then boom, he's dead. He just dies right there on the spot. You know, it really ruins a good church service when people die, you know. For those of you who are from the old New Hope, it did happen here once. It kind of puts a damper on things, you know. Um, but um, here's what happened. God was angry, totally angry. In fact, he renamed that place Perez Uzzah. But David is also afraid of God on that day. Put a little fear of God in him. You know, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, it's a good thing to have a little fear of God in your life. In fact, it's a great thing to have a lot of fear of God in your life so that you live according to his will. It's a good thing to fear the Lord. And so he asked God, <laughs> if you would have done that in the first place, right? 
How many times has parents, well, if you just would have asked. <sighs> he went and he asked God, how can I ever bring the ark back to me? Then it says he didn't take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it and he left it in the house of Odeb Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed Edom in his house for three months. Can you imagine that? This thing just killed a guy. Hey, you got some room in your house, right? Your kid moved out. You got a spare room. Here you go. Enjoy the ark of God. By the way, don't dust it. I don't recommend that you dust that thing, okay? It, it might not end well. But guess what happened there? For three months, the Lord blessed their whole household and everything in it. The blessing of God rested on that house. It's the same presence of God. It brings curses everywhere in Philistine. It brings death when you touch it, but it brings blessing to his house. What is up here? God, what are you saying? What are you teaching? What, what is the deal? I want to be like their household. I want to be blessed by God, not cursed by God. I want everything I do to be blessed. I, not for me, but so people can see that, you know, God. So why is he blessed and everyone else is cursed? First Chronicles 15, verse 11 through 15. We'll find out in a little bit why they were blessed. It says, then David summoned, and this is three months later, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab, the Levites. Levites, they were all priests. He said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, didn't bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. There's blessing or curse, life or death. Not just doing what God calls you to do, but asking God how and when to do it. Seeking God putting his kingdom first. You can do what God calls you to do in a way that God did not call you to do it, in a time that God did not call you to do it, because you're not prepared to do it yet. They had to consecrate and prepare themselves. David had to prepare and consecrate a place. God had a way of doing things. His ways are right. Our ways are wrong. Let's just be honest and call them what they are. All his ways are pure and just and holy and righteous, and all of his ways are good. We don't take enough time to seek the presence of God within our lives. What do you want me to do today? How do you want me to do this? If we took time to do that, our lives would probably look a little more like the Israelites and a little less like the Philistines, right? So it says in verse 14, the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with pools on their shoulders. Why'd they do that? Because that's what Moses had commanded them to do in accordance with the word of the Lord. You go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God and live life as God prescribed it. it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But we make it so hard. 
You see, this time the ark was returned to its rightful place in the right way, and it brought blessing and peace to God's people for many, many years to come. There was a celebration. In fact, I think it's in Samuel where you read, it was like every, every so many steps, they would stop and they would sacrifice a bull and they would party and they would celebrate. And David sent out, you know, fig cakes to everybody. Kind of like fruitcake apparently today. I don't, not my favorite. Raisins aren't my favorite to be honest, but uh, you know, they, they must've been Israel's favorite, I guess, because they were happy to receive them. But it was a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration. Why? In both instances, they had in their heart, David had in his heart to, to bring back the presence of God to where it belonged among his people. And that was the will of God as well. He wanted to be back among his people. But the second time David did it right, he sought after God. We know this. Ha- David is no different than all of us. He messed up again. You guys know about the temple that he decided to build? He's like, why am I living in a palace and there's the Ark of the Covenant out there in a tent. You know, like, you just start not feeling, something doesn't feel right about that, you know, in your life. You know, I'm living in a mansion, and God, God, like, this isn't right. So I'm going to build, and so he brought in a prophet, and he said, I'm going to build this huge, you know, temple, and I'm going to do this. And, and the prophet's like, hey, whatever God places in your heart, you do it. And the God was like, seriously, no, <laughs> prophet, no, go back and tell him this, you know. <laughs> Sorry, for you guys, if you know, God's like, you're not going to build the temple. You got too much blood on your hands. Your family's a mess. <laughs> you're not going to build the temple for me. Appreciate it, but no. Thanks, but no. It's okay to say no. God said, but I'm going to raise up Solomon, we know, uh, one of his sons, which is, you know, just crazy, the whole circumstance. So what did David do? David spent the rest of his life building up a treasury, building up all the building supplies that his son could ever need to make the job easy for him. You see, when you walk in accordance to the Spirit of God within you, you are not just preparing a way for yourself. You are are raising the valleys, you are lowering the mountains so that those who come along behind you, your family, your children, generations to come, spiritual generations to come, so that they can have it easier, so that they can walk in accordance to his will. And that's really the point of all of this. You know, we are filled with the presence of God to follow God. We are filled to follow. We're not filled with the presence of God so that we can just live the way that we want, and God will clean up our mess everywhere we go. God is not an iRobot, okay? (laughs) You don't just demand that he go and clean that up, and he does it. God is the eternal God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, right? He is Lord of lords. He doesn't bow down to you. We are to bow down to him. He is not to fear us. We are to fear him. And when he calls, we are to follow. We can't just drag the presence of God along into our messes and expect him to clean things up. He will clean things up but he'll do it to get us back onto his path, not so that we can continue down the worst path. In fact, that that may be one of the reasons why God, in his goodness, even though it doesn't feel good, leaves our mess so that we leave it. Think about the prodigal son. The father had wisdom. 
He gave his son his whole inheritance, everything that, that he you know, was going to receive, but he didn't walk with his son into that mess. He let things get pretty bad for him. Why? So that his son would come back and get on the right path, so that he would make right choices, so that he would know that his father's ways are better, better than his own. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, right, let's remember Emmanuel, God with us, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And let's get serious about this reality to be more aware, to be more aware of how we ought to live as a result. We are filled to follow his lead. We are created to follow it. Not living life our way, but living a life that keeps in step with the Spirit, moment by moment every day. That is a life that will experience an abundant life, a blessed life, a life that will be full of peace and joy and love and kindness. It doesn't mean everything's always going to go well for you, but it means everything's going to end well for you. Amen? So God, we thank you that first of all, you became Emmanuel. Thank you for wrapping yourself in flesh, Jesus, for living a sinless life, and then for paying the price for my sin. Thank you for being Emmanuel. And we especially thank you that we are living in the days of fulfilled promises. We thank you that we are Emmanuel. We are God with us. Because of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We are the temple. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for how we've been building our lives to date. Forgive us for building your temple with meaningless things, for giving you leftovers. God, from this day forward, help us to build our lives following your lead. Fill our lives to overflowing so that we might follow you more closely. Help us to build our lives with precious, precious things, valuable things. Not so that people can look at us, but that so people see that it is all that we are is you in us. All that people can see is Emmanuel. You are the goodness in my life. I've made a mess of it, but you've made it beautiful. I keep screwing up, but you keep picking me back up. I keep stumbling and falling, but you are my Savior, my healer, my restorer. You are my guidance, my God, the Lord of my life. This Christmas season, Lord, let people turn their hearts back to you because of what you've done in me. In your name, amen.